Hi, Fresh Capital listeners. For those of you who are new to the show, the aim of the game is for Albert and I to pitch the business case of a company to each other, work out what we like and dislike, and if we're lucky, conclude if it's a company we're interested in. A reminder, this is not a recommendation or financial advice. This is a way for Albert and I to have fun applying what we've learned about investing from our careers and life. Always do your own research, always make your own decisions, and consult a financial advisor before you jump in. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we evaluate growing companies or companies that are overlooked or misunderstood. I'm Albert, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan. Dan, what's been going on? Uh, not too much. The The role reversal is throwing me off with you doing the intro. I'm sure uh, I'll throw but... our listeners off as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. What's our topic for today? Look, the reason why the role reversal has happened is because this is going to be a bit different from our usual show. So normally, our listeners know this, but Dan and I kind of pitch the invest- investment case of an organization against each other. But today, we're going to kind of talk about how we got into investing, why we got into investing, what we look for in potential investments, and then what we've learnt along our journey. So thematically, this has come from you know a few of our friends uh, talking about how they're interested in investing, wanting to get into the market, but don't necessarily know how to actually invest or what to invest in. So we're kind of hoping we can share our own investing story and what we look for in order to then inspire others to start doing the same thing. With that in mind, let's get into it. Dan, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I think an interesting start point for me is the question, how long was it between thinking about investing and actually investing? And it was probably a good year, maybe year and a half. It started out with... Um, me, I mean, it would have started out before this, but I guess the, the most memorable part was I decided I'm going to buy two investment books and I was researching which would be the two which would give me sort of the foundational knowledge for what I need. The first was a random walk down Wall Street and the second was uh, called Irrational Exuberance. And both, I think, address the question of investing from different perspectives, which is why it was useful to get both of them. Irrational exuberance, as the name suggests, or the title suggests, is about, you know, the theory, a little bit more of the psychoanalysis behind investing, about those big bubble stocks and why people act and behave in that way. So a little bit more of a social perspective on investing. A random walk down Wall Street is a really, and I'd recommend it, a really practical guide to uh, how to invest, what you should be looking for in terms of markings and indicators in your investments, and ultimately, its thesis is that you should uh, invest in an ETF which will, or an index fund, which we'll get into a little bit later. But for me, that was a, those two books were really useful for giving me the framework to understand the social side of investing and the practicalities of investing and where to mm. begin. Um, but even then, after reading both those books, <laughs> it was probably about <laughs> six months uh, more before I started investing. Um, and the trigger, I guess, was just, and I'm sure lots of people are saying it's sort of arbitrary, uh, COVID-19 happens, all these stocks are plummeting, and I felt, I guess, a sense of comfort or ease that if I entered now, 
I'm not going to come in and have some super overvalued stock and be an idiot from day one. There's a bit of a safety there that I'm probably investing at a downtime at a, at a good time in the market to coming in. So that was the sort of time period between thinking about starting to invest and actually investing. Do you have a similar story? No, my story is less educated and nuanced than that, to be honest. You've, you take a very mm-hmm. uh, proactive approach. Uh, so mine was, uh, I have a quite wealthy uncle who works in investment management. So he works for a managed fund who um, I aspired, <laughs> I guess, growing up to be, um, given mm-hmm. that, you know, when I would visit his house, he had every flavor of Magnum ice cream in his fridge, for example. And so that was <laughs> what I thought wealth was, which is, you know, freedom of ice cream choice. And I knew he'd made quite a bit of money through investing. And so I kind of got interested in that. Um, not interested in the way that I was reading books or anything, but interested in the idea that I could make money through the market. And then I guess the big impetus for me was in law school. I studied a course on financial markets, which gave me a really good grounding for how financial markets work at a kind of a macro level. And then I started to write a few articles here and there for um, the university newspaper on different things to invest in. I'm actually looking at these articles now. Uh, Cochlear was one. Um, Campanillo Honey, when that was public, was another. Snapchat <laughs> is another. And um, <laughs> I guess my, my claim to fame, which would have been Afterpay, I wrote an article saying to buy into Afterpay when it was around $3. And we know that now Afterpay is hovering, last time I checked, you know, around the $110 mark. So uh, I'd like to think I was... Uh, and written proof saw the afterpay trend a long time ago. <laughs> well, that's a good story, Albert. I think uh, maybe another one we can delve into is uh, I know you've got a younger brother that you've convinced to get into investing now as well. Uh, maybe a good entry into this topic is, well, how did you pitch it to him? What was the, the rational logic behind saying, you know, you should start investing too. Yeah, good question. So uh, around the time uh, COVID first impacted in Australia, which is around March, the market started to crash. Manga brother, you know, just recently turned 18. I think he's 19 now and had been working for a few years, had quite a bit of money saved up from his part-time job. And so when the market started to take a hit and a lot of my investments started to take a hit, Uh, I told him that, you know, a good allocation of some of his money, instead of being in a savings account, would be to buy some of these stocks that were historically quite good and to hold them for a few years because, like like you, the risk that they would decline would be quite low. You know, the, the market was already half of what it was for a lot of investments. And the potential upside would be quite high. And the way I sold it to him was we'd just come back from a, a really great Europe trip uh, where we spent about, you know, four to five weeks backpacking um, through Western Europe that if he invested in some of these businesses and the market did recover, he'd have a lot more money to then travel again much faster. And so he kind of took my advice, invested in a few things I'd recommended. He'd also invested in a few things that... Uh, he thought were a good idea and it's panned out pretty well for him 
that's a, a good, I think, lesson to learn, which is investing is, I think, a social exercise. Uh, at least it has been for me and it sounds like it has been for you. Um, you do need these touch points, you know, whether it be classmates, uh, family, friends, where, you know, you can see that they've done it before you. You can see that they're doing all right, they're doing okay. And it makes the decision a lot less scary uh, when you've got someone who's walked a mile in the shoes that you, you're potentially mm. going to walk. Um, so I think that might be the key takeaway there is, um, you know, if you're thinking about investing, the, the easiest way is to find someone you know who invests and just ask them a couple of questions and ask if they'll recommend it. And if they do, you're probably going to start going down that pathway as well. There's a, a point I wanted to pick up there, Albert, uh, which you mentioned the comparison between your younger brother keeping his money in his savings account or investing. And I think that's a really useful framework to look at this um, question of whether to invest or not is you've got different assets. You know, you've got your savings. You could potentially invest in um, shares or stocks. You could potentially also invest in a house and have a mortgage, which you're paying off a loan. So there are different assets that you can have and, all of them, I think it's fair to say, unless you're, you're trying to lose money, are ways in which you're growing your, your income or growing the amount of money or assets that you have behind you. And really, at the end of the day, it's just about thinking, well, which is the best avenue for me to put some money into, which will give me a better return in the future? Um, do you think of it in a similar yeah, way like that, uh, Albert? that's uh, exactly the way I think about it. I think you also need to overlay and uh, element of risk tolerance, which is sometimes why young people and people who uh, you know aren't exposed to other people who are investing um, may be um, you know unsure about investing in the market, is because when you keep money in the savings account, that has generally quite a low risk. You know that money isn't just gonna disappear, or is it gonna be volatile? Like you know, if you put a hundred dollars in your bank account, it's probably gonna be a hundred dollars for a long time whereas if you put a hundred dollars into the market you know that number might go up and down depending on how volatile the market is um you know it could go up and down based on a number of things and i think that element of risk is something you need to overlay with how you chase returns mm, it's a really good point and it reminds me of a, a section in a random walk down wall street where it essentially says you know if if there's an amount of money which will uh, sort of keep you up up at night or you're thinking it over before you go to bed, then that amount of money is probably too mm. high for you to be investing. You know, everyone has got a different edge. Um, we all know friends who can pass out a bunch of money on a, on a nice meal and they're probably the same type that will pass out a bunch of money on investments without thinking too much. But if, if you do think about that, if you are thinking about the amount of money you're spending on your dinner or your dessert, those sorts of things, then it's absolutely fine that you have a similar approach to your investments. And all of us have different goals as well. If you're saving up for a house in the next you know, five years or so and you want access to that money when the time comes for you to buy that house, you probably don't want to be investing a whole bunch uh, in shares because it might be a little bit risky and it might affect whether you can yep. buy that house or not. So everyone has, has their own personal decision to make. Uh, but on the whole, I think Albert and I agree on this, it's uh, investing in shares does give you a relatively 
risk-free upside, depending how you invest, compared to just leaving your money in the bank. And ultimately, that's what sort of pushed me over in making that decision. Yeah, it's, I don't want to call it a fun game as well, but uh, I think for me, it helps me sharpen my focus around how I make decisions with my money. You know, whether mm-hmm. if I want to buy that next drink or that nice meal, or whether I want to put some money away towards investing in a, a business that I'm interested in. You know, it helps me drive directional focus and better money management in my life broadly. So I think it also bleeds into other parts. Mm. I think it'd be good to kind of touch on how to actually invest. Um, Because people, Mm -hmm. you know, know you can invest in these different asset types, but don't know how to start investing. Uh, So for me, I Mm. invest um, through a platform called Self Wealth. Um, Very easy to set up. It's a a few online forms. uh, And then you get a bank account attached to your Self Wealth account which then you can use to transfer funds from your existing bank account. Once you've got funds in your kind of self-wealth trading platform, you can then buy uh, and sell shares relatively easily. It costs about $9 per trade. Um, So that means if you uh, buy a parcel of shares and the minimum on the ASX is $500, you then have to pay an additional fee of $9 to execute that trade. What about you, Dan? What do you use? Uh, I use CMC. Um, So it works uh, on largely the same basis. You have essentially a separate bank account. You'll transfer money across that bank account account to to trade. Uh, Every trade you make, so that's a buy is one trade and a sell is another trade. You have what's called a brokerage fee, which I think for me is between 10 and $11. Um, you know, different accounts give you different options. Uh, I know if I have sort of a premium account or I'm trading more frequently, you know, maybe 15 times in a month or, or something more than that, then I get a reduction on my brokerage fees. Ultimately, you know, those are decisions you, you shouldn't worry about. I think when you're starting out, you should absolutely go for whatever the free uh, version is of the platform you choose. Uh, you might want to compare who's got better brokerage prices and that sort of thing. But from my comparison of the market, they're all within a couple of dollars of each other. Um, just do what makes you comfortable. Um, if you're really looking for efficiencies, uh, you, you're probably, you got, you got better time on your hands than just spending on finding <laughs> which has got the, the lowest brokerage fees and, and everything else. It's a whole wormhole you can get down under. And if you are looking for that comfortability, you know, most of your major banks have got a, a trading platform built in. So Commonwealth Bank of Australia has got their Comsec, so you can trade things through there. It just gives you, I think, a, a one-stop shop if if you want, which is a lot more custom, uh, a lot more comfortable for you to start out with investing and just getting a feel for it. Um, you can always, you know, move your investments or, or move the bank account from from time to time to a different platform. So I think. Picking a platform you're comfortable with from the start is, is the, yeah, absolutely. the way to go. And I think it uh, would be good for us to quickly talk about then. You know, we've talked about why we've gone into investing. We talked about how to actually invest. I think it's worth talking about what we actually invest in. Like, how do we choose? Um, what do we look for? Or what makes a good mm-hmm. investment in our eyes? So I think for me, um, I look at kind of three really broad things. Um, I look at companies that, I can understand how they make money and you can learn this by 
kind of reading the annual reports, um, you know, looking up their company websites to see if they sell products or if they deliver services, um, you know, if they act as a platform or a marketplace um, for other organizations to create revenue, um, if they manufacture things and so forth. So I always look at to see, and this is a very basic thing, do I understand how this business makes money and will that continue to grow in the future? The second thing is mm. very related to that, which is uh, I like businesses that are um, quite strong margin generating businesses. So profit margin is kind of the money you make minus the cost of making that money. It's uh, the profit that a company generates. I don't have a lot of businesses in my portfolio that uh, aren't profitable. Um, I, I tend to really value businesses who are generating a profit uh, or will generate a profit at the very mm. near and just the and, and just as an example for listeners, you know, uh, a company that wouldn't generate profit but might be very popular are some of these software as a service companies. So think of your afterpays and stuff. They're at the moment really concentrating on growing their business. So any money they, they they make, they invest right back in. And so they're not generating profits. So those would be sort of the alternatives to some of the ones yep. that Albert's talking yep. about. No, it's a, a good call out, Dan. And then I guess the third thing um, I look at is what is the kind of the market size of this business? So again, kind of related back to point one, which is, if they're generating revenue and that revenue has been driven by a particular metric. Uh, so if we use kind of the afterpay example, afterpay is driven by two types of markets. The first is, you know, the number of companies who use afterpay on their website. So who let consumers pay using afterpay. And the second kind of market is the number of total consumers. So I really like uh, companies who have a really big market size, which is a really big pool of potential customers they could draw from. It just means to me that there is quite high upside for these organizations. That's kind of a really high level view mm. of what I look for um, in my initial scans. What about you, Dan? What do you look for? Well, I'd like, I'd like to be frank and sort of split between what did I look for when I started versus <laughs> yeah. what I look for now? Uh, just to give people yes. a, a realistic yes. view of what investing's like. And you know, when it started out, really honestly, I was looking at some of those graphs and going, well, you know, it was up here a couple of months ago, particularly with, with COVID and whatnot. Now it's down here. I've heard the name on the news before, you know, Commonwealth Bank, Macquarie Bank, uh, those sorts of things. And for the ones, for those sort of blue chip ones, I thought, okay, that's pretty much all I need. I'll invest in that. Um, in some of the other ones, I think an initial investment for me was O Media, which is a billboard company in Australia, outdoor advertising. Um, and I just sort of thought, well, advertising is going to kick up at some point. So I'm doing this sort of projection out to the future. That was another way for me to assess my investments and decide I wanted to invest. Um, frankly, probably really bad ways <laughs> to invest in the long term. But honestly, it's probably how a lot of us are going to start investing, uh, particularly if, we're, if we've got day jobs. Investing isn't part of our university degree or something that we've built up a, a skill set around. 
that's that's how you start. How I then sort of moved on from that is making clear limitations on what I can't buy uh, or what I'm choosing not to buy. There's so much choice out there. I think you do yourself a favor by just saying point blank, I'm not going to buy anything to do with this. Uh, I'm not going to even spend time thinking about it. And a couple of those for me was, um, you know, mining and, and natural resources. I could just see so many factors in the air there between commodity prices, currency exchanges, diplomatic tensions, political unrest, all those sorts of things that I just went, <laughs> look, there's probably 99% of the people out there who are more knowledgeable on this than me. I'm just not going to touch it. You know, mm. there's other mm. things I can invest in. Um, you know, it sort of goes back to that principle of, you know, buy into or invest into things where you actually have experience for the product. So if you bank with Commonwealth Bank of Australia, you do have some sense of how they operate as a business. So that's maybe a good in for you to decide to, to invest. Adore Beauty, some of these makeup stores which are listed, you know, that's one which you probably have a reasonable understanding mm. of if you're a customer. It might be one that you decide to invest in. So that's you know, some of the limits I put. Other ones uh, are just ones against my own laziness. So a limit I put is unless I've read their latest annual yep, report, it's a good I can't rule. invest in them. And annual reports are, you know, a great summary, even though you might think that they're, you know, 50 pages, so it's not really a summary, but they are a great summary of how that business operates. Um, they usually have graphs and, and you know, pretty pictures and stuff to convey some of the information quite simply about how they generate revenue and everything like that. So, you know, some of these limitations, I think, are a good way about how you invest. Um, I really want to get into more of the evaluative frameworks in terms of the numbers behind revenue, profits, uh, and operating costs. I'm just developing that skill at the moment. So for me, it's not a, a big part of my toolkit, but that's the way to view it, I think, is you can start investing with quite a small toolkit. And as you invest, it's a practice which you're gaining more tools, more skills to use and make your future investments better. At the end of the day, you're, you're probably going to be investing. Uh, if you start investing now, you're probably going to be investing all the way up until uh, you know, you're retired and whatnot. So it's a long game. Uh, feel free to sort of build it up or feel comfortable trying to build yeah, it up. Yeah, Dan, that was a really good answer. It's very insightful. I think if you had to choose one thing that you've learned over the time that you have now invested, what would be the one lesson you wish you could give your, um, you know, starting self? I, I think it's talking to people. Uh, going back to my initial comment about investing being social, um, there's a lot of thoughts I've had on companies which sound really <laughs> smart in my head. And then when I'm talking to a friend about it, I go, geez, that wasn't persuasive at all. That was pretty, that was pretty stupid what I just said. Um, and it, it's in isolation of what my friend might say back to me, whether they pick up on, on how silly it sounds. Just by voicing it to someone, I start critiquing what I'm saying and realize, usually I realize I just haven't, thought much about this company or I haven't done much research and in investing anything that drives you to do more research can only be beneficial so that's that's my tip it's a it's definitely a shortcut talk to people they've got knowledge tap into it it can only benefit yeah, you nice. in investing. that's good I think mine just quickly is uh not to invest in small caps um you know when I say small caps these are kind of investments that the share price is 
around a dollar or less. And because of that, mm -hmm. and a few things I've, a, a few poor choices I've made after watching you know, The Wolf of Wall Street and things like that, um, is just <laughs> not to invest in anything that will be so volatile or um, you know, some volatility will affect the magnitude of the investment. And so when you have something that's less mm. than a dollar, if it goes up or down by, you know, 10%, you know, that's a 0.9. If it keeps trending downwards, um, you know, it, you could end up with uh, something that's close to zero. Whereas if you're investing in something, you know, around the 10 to $15 mark, even if you lose, you know, 10 to 15%, um, whilst the percentage loss would be the same for a small cap versus something a bit bigger, the magnitude of the investment um, is kind of softened by the share price. So I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned. Mm. Yeah. Just on that, I think a useful observation that I read about was sort of um, <laughs> the advice is, you know, if, if you're, if you're, smart and you've, you've done all the math or whatever is to go into what's called an index fund which is essentially um a, a share which tracks the performance of the for example the whole asx the whole australian market you could have ones which track the performance of the whole american market or one which sort of tracks the performance of the, the global market as a whole as well um and the general thesis being that notwithstanding any particular drops like COVID or whatever if you hold something in an index fund, it will go mm. up over time. You know, if you hold it for 50 years, it's almost assuredly going to be up. Um, and th that's the smart way of doing things, uh, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, both Albert and I, I think, have that itch where we like to sort of have the feel of picking uh, a share of stock. And the answer is you can do both. Uh, you can have a very defensive mindset of being like, this is the money, which I just absolutely can't lose. I want to treat it like my bank account, um, but earn a slightly higher rate of return. Those are your index type, index fund type investments or you know, blue chip type investments. And then I think it's, it's okay if you allocate yourself a certain amount of money, which you are comfortable losing, which you will not lose sleep about. Those are the ones where you can, you know, put into something like an afterpay or, you know, Albert's warned against small caps and I tend to agree there, but maybe some of those riskier investments um, because, you know, like anything in life, if you want to have a bit of fun with it or you find enjoyment rather, I think it's a better way of putting it in it um, and you've got enough risk tolerance for it, then you should feel empowered. To yeah, do that absolutely. Well. Absolutely. I think on that note, it's probably a good place to leave it, Dan. Thank you. Um, Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Uh, you can also catch us on freshcapital.show if you want to see some of our earlier episodes.